Hello and welcome to the All Terrain Podcast, a brand new series from the Youth and Children's Ministry Unit of the Salvation Army in the UK and Republic of Ireland. I'm Matt White and in each episode I'll be inviting a guest to take a hypothetical hike as we find out about their real life journey to this point and they'll have to make four choices for the walk and answer four questions along the way. In this episode, I'm joined by Doug Ross. Hello, Doug. Hey, Matt. How you doing, buddy? I'm very well, thank you. Now, Doug, normally at this bit, I do like a, I describe someone in like a line, like I give their job title or something, but um, you do quite a lot and we've only got half an hour, so I don't really know how to start. A DJ, music producer, manager, event creator, coffee roaster, what's what's on the business card? None of those things. Uh, (laughs) In and around the music industry, that's that's kind of where I sit anywhere from uh, production through to uh, touring record labels, live streaming concerts, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So kind of involved in a whole span across the music industry. And right now, tell us a bit about yourself. What does uh, what does home life look like? What does work look like? Uh, so I'm part of a blended family. So my wife and I got married three years ago. I've adopted her daughter into my life uh, and she's adopted my boys into hers. So we have three kids, and any day now, we are about to have our first child together. Wow, congratulations. So, um, baby Ross, number four. Uh, so, yeah, very excited um, about that. Uh, in, in terms of my work stuff, I've never really seen what I do as work because mm. I just love it. Yeah. Um, and so so I've joined forces with a guy called Steve O'Dar, and we, we have an asset, which is a beautiful 250-year-old barn in the Royal Epping Forest. Uh, called Burgess Barn, and we are launching a series of live events there that we are globally streaming um, mm. uh, and launching our new product, which is stable.com. Okay, and that's S-T-A-B-A-L, is that right? S-T-A-B-A-L.com. Now, before we get started on what we're here for, I need you to make a couple of your first choices. So it's a hypothetical hike, but we need some real details. So for you, where are we walking? What's your favorite kind of walk? Uh, my favorite kind of walk is uh, something with beautiful scenery. So in my head, I'd either be thinking of the Highlands of Scotland mm. or f- from a probably temperature point of view, maybe somewhere in New Zealand. That, oh. that, could, that could be, you know, better climate wise. Oh, lovely. Now you've got to pick one, which is, are we going for the home? Because I know you've got that Scottish ancestry or are we going for the kind of the... The weather, what's, Let, what's winning? Let's take it the Highlands of Scotland because that's where it's from. <laughs> you get Scottish, I guess, whenever you talk to your family and the way I get more Northern Irish when I talk to my I'm you there, boy, <laughs> <laughs> um, And the second choice you have to make is we've got to figure out who's coming with us. So you're allowed one living, one dead, one fictional. Who's coming on the walk? I really struggle with this. Um, so the, the person who is living, I would love to kind of like carry on my conversations with is Shane Claiborne. Mm. So Shane, we, we've kind of worked together many, many times, and it's just constant pearls of wisdom, reframing yeah. how I look at life. Uh, so Shane would be the living one. Great. Um, my The one who's dead, it's really tricky because there's part of me that kind of, oh, I know I've just got to choose one, but I want to give you kind of my Yeah, thinking. go, no, please do, talk us through I, it. I, I'd love to have somebody who was kind of maybe at the start of something that they never knew that they were at the start of, Ooh, but yeah. they've helped shape the last kind of like maybe 30, 40, 50 mm. plus years. So it's either a Smith Wigglesworth, for okay. people who don't know him, an incredible man, is kind of like the, the whisperer to the nations and kind of like has seen massive change, very prophetic. Yeah. And on the other hand, it would be like a Mother Teresa, mm. just just from somebody who was just so self-sacrificial mm. and gave to other people in front of herself. Uh, I'm going to go with Mother Teresa. Okay. Um, 
And the fictional one, like that, this is the one that I probably struggle with the most. So I am a massive comic book geek. Okay. So that's kind of like what I love to kind of do. So film and graphic novels is a thing for me. Mm. So trying to find a character that I wanted to kind of like journey with us has been tricky. But I'm going to go for Doctor Strange. Oh, interesting. Every guest on the Alter In podcast has to answer four questions. So here's the first one. How do you face change? So change has been an ever-evolving part of my life. Mm. Uh, and I think kind of the one thing that's been modelled well to me in my life is never to kind of react in the moment. So I think kind of like with all the changes that I've had to face in my life and, you know, I've got somewhat of a journey um, that I've been through. Yeah. How I face change is that kind of like I push pause and kind of like I stand, step back and then I kind of like look at the world with a kind of consistent heartbeat as opposed to kind of like a raced heartbeat and just jump into something. So uh, when I step back from things, then it gives me a, a different perspective mm. on a situation. So I try to kind of allow, you know, my faith to kind of shape how I step into change. Mm. So I guess I can only look at kind of like how I've dealt with change in the past. Can you can you think of an example where you got that really right? And then on the other side of that, an example where perhaps you got that wrong? Yeah, well, well certainly kind of when um, uh, when my my marriage kind of came to an end, it was something that wasn't kind of like an overnight hearing about it and kind of finding out kind of about that situation and the fact that kind of it would no longer look the same ever again mm. like in that moment kind of like i i reacted badly there was things that i i said that i i wish i hadn't said yeah. and there was kind of actions that i took part that i wish i'd never take part in mm. so i i know that that kind of change in my life there was there was elements in that that I didn't deal with well, mm -hmm. but I think kind of since since that um, there's there's been multiple occasions where there's been challenges at work, and I just have given myself some time to kind of like cool off from things that people have said, mm. and just kind of deal with that situation kind of like with a much more level head, mm. with a better perspective of the situation, and understanding both sides of the the coin. Mm. Yeah, you, you talked a bit about the fact that you now are part of a blended family. In terms of bringing your family together now, how have you kind of faced that change? What what challenges has that kind of presented? Well, I think kind of the, the, the first kind of really obvious um, change within kind of our blended family is kind of like your children. So mm. that's the first thing. So as adults, you know, we can look at kind of like potentially how the other person would parent their children might be yes. different to, to you uh, and the, the way that sometimes you might let your kids get away with things mm. and the other partner doesn't. Uh, but, but you know straight off kind of like how that situation looks because of how your children react. Mm. And kind of like for us, you know, we've, I feel really blessed that, you know, there hasn't been kind of major competition. Mm. Uh, there hasn't been kind of like any kind of like really, really tough journey that we've had to go on so we feel blessed in that that mm. department and you know still every week kind of like there's stuff that my wife and i so we've been married to get you know three years we've been a blended family for three years and still you know there's stuff that kind of like 
I'm finding out from Rachel that she doesn't like the way that I do certain mm. things from a parenting point of view. Mm. And, you know, but but I'm sure this will can, continue because we're kind of creatures of habit as well. Yeah. And I think also the older that we get, you know, the more stuck in the mud that we become over things. Mm. And I'm finding that I'm becoming that creature of habit. So actually mm. change now as I'm about to turn 40 is way more difficult than it would have been in my pride years of being a 20 year old you know because you want to adapt and change much more in those years where now it's like oh i feel like i've got everything set yeah and that's interesting because i guess uh, the last couple of years have been some of the most profound changes in your life so it's almost like uh, yeah almost like kind of mentally and, and biologically you've been the least kind of prepared for some of the biggest changes you've had to face yeah for which sure I, which i guess brings me back to then that that thing you said right at the top which is about that ability to go, mm, I don't need to really think too much. I don't need to get involved in that. I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a, it's not, it's not a particularly Salvation Army phrase, Doug. So we'll see if it stays in, but I have no dog in that race. Yeah. You know, there's that kind of like, there's that ability to kind of step back and do that. And I think it's just embracing kind of change as opposed to kind of fearing change. Oh, because, because for me, it's kind of like change. You know, I was never that fussed about change because like, I had that kind of slightly traveler, you know, inside of me that kind mm. of like I could go anywhere and do mm. anything and, you know, meet friends and I'm confident in that area. But yeah, I was surrounded by people who were kind of crippled and gripped by kind of like the fear of of, of moving location mm. or like changing churches or mm. doing stuff like that. You're just like, guys, just it's, it's no big deal. You know, life is full of change and don't fear it, but mm. embrace it, you know. Yeah, I love that. I love I love all of that. I think the idea of taking a step back is something that people I mean we could all do. Look, you know, you don't have to look very far or flick the news on for too long before you could see how different the world would be if we were able to take a breath. Um, yeah. But then I say that and I'm probably not able to do that when someone cuts me up on the A12. So yeah. it's a, <laughs> I I think you're right. I think there's something about learning to embrace that kind of positive change that sometimes comes with pain, but actually that positive change that that actually we know that from that change, great things can come. That's awesome. Question number two, how do you move through suffering? Suffering is, is probably the biggest thing that most people would fear, I would say. Mm. And, and, you know, the, the reality is, and, you know, this is not to be morbid, but this is the reality of life, is that every single one of us will have to go through some level of suffering mm. at some point in our life. And for me, you know, I, I had a, an intensive period of of being in the thick of suffering mm. um, in that my mum had passed away. She'd been on a long journey battle with uh, dementia and then it was liver cancer eventually, which kind of uh, took her. And, you know, that same period, uh, my brother-in-law kind of uh, took his own life and at the same kind of period of time, you know, went through kind of like a, a, a loss of my marriage. And so kind of like there was this kind of like season that kind of like I would say that I was under this cloud of suffering. And knowing that in my character, like I would always try and look at other people's situation and kind of feel like, well, my situation is not as bad as theirs. And, you know, there's always that comparison that we do in the Western world. Mm. And I'm sure it could be a global thing about my situation, your situation. It's like there's always a comparison to you know somebody kind of like talks about oh you know i had this experience and then it won't be long before someone else will talk about their experience mm. and i think for me that in the mix of all that suffering i could no longer kind of like put my gaze onto 
oh but but so and so over there is suffering more than me then i yeah. i shouldn't i i shouldn't i shouldn't be feeling kind of guilty that that i'm struggling right now yeah. you know uh, and i think within that season for me the way that i got through suffering was just step by step day by day mm. minute by minute and kind of like allowing you know because i i have a faith because i have a relationship with god uh that i speak to god and at times where you know other people would say i just can't feel god or i just don't kind of maybe that's the start of them lost losing their their faith or mm. you know whatever but for me it's that like my my faith grew so much stronger through that suffering because i genuinely felt um almost a tangible presence of of god which you know like i knew that kind of like the spirit of god was with me through each one of those like pretty horrendous kind of times yeah. of, of loss and and really kind of like suffering it's going to take a different guise for everyone but yeah. for me it was just the kind of like i wasn't on my own mm. so even though kind of like i was the one you know who was kind of impacted by a loss or, or by that suffering it meant that all those people who loved me and were around me were suffering too and they were suffering with me mm. and there's something very beautiful about that and when i look at kind of examples of, of of community even as way back to jesus and jesus and his disciples it's kind of like you know you you know you weep and i will weep with you and it's that kind of like camaraderie it's that brotherhood mm. it's that kind of like for me without that i think i would have suffered and dealt with that a lot differently than i had but i had the right support i had a lot of love uh, i had my two boys to mm. focus on but but through the whole thing time was the thing that kind of like helped me move through mm. that suffering and you know what it's been what six years since my mum died I think about my mum every day yeah. and it still pains me anytime there's any reference to my mum mm. it's it still sets me off you know and, and i'm an emotional guy and mm. i wear my heart on my sleeve i've got my buddy lost my buddy tom mills oh, you yeah. know last christmas yeah. and man yeah. i've got his face right by my computer every yeah. day and I've got kind of words that kind of like my mum gave me from scriptures that I yeah. carry with me and I see every day. And it's still there. And it's it's, mm. it's there to kind of remind me of how amazing those people are. Yeah. And, and you know, just to kind of like keep an eye on what I'm doing as well, I think. Yeah. You know? um, the three things you mentioned there in, in losing your mum, the suicide of your, your brother-in-law, uh, and then your marriage and the loss of your marriage, they're really big things. And yet mm. you still felt that sense of almost needing to go well it could be worse uh, <laughs> and, and, and there's something you know because i think that for people there's a real danger in suffering that we we almost try to circumnavigate it because we go well there's people far worse off and of course that's always true but it isn't a competition is it suffering's not a it's not a world no. cup and I, and I think that's really interesting that that i guess comparison can really stop us moving through suffering because I guess it almost just allows us to ignore it. Yeah. For you then, how did you allow yourself the chance not to try and compare what you were going through with other people? What what allowed you to step almost into the suffering? What what was it that gave you permission? I think kind of it, it in all honesty, it was probably the overwhelming grief. And then I think because like I had no choice but just to kind of like experience that, that then just became part of who I am. And like I didn't then want to apologize for who I want, you know. Yeah. What, who i am anymore because it's like well most most of the people who i love and around me you know you've seen this side of me now this is who i am yeah. 
And kind of, I'm not going to be ashamed of that yeah. because actually for, for some other people to, to see that uh, and for other people to kind of witness that, that they've only ever seen like happy go lucky Dougie, yes. the guy who's kind of helping them out. Yeah. They would only ever see maybe one side. Now they're seeing kind of like a side that's vulnerable yeah. and is broken and, you know, is, is in desperate need of love and support. You know, that that I think just kind of like solidified so many of my relationships and, and saw the real true essence of who I am. Well, that was the second thing, because I because I, you talked about comparison, but then you talked about community in terms of that community of people around you. Like how, how important, I guess, has that been then in that journey through suffering? It, it sounds like it's been absolutely fundamental for you. Oh, it's everything. It's like, you know, we're at birth, you know, it, unless you're a, an only child. But for some of us who are blessed with siblings, you know, you you kind of walk through life with your kind of biological or, or step brothers and sisters yeah. or whatever. But, you know, when you kind of truly have, you know, a community that's invested in you, that loves you, that understands you, and you can be you in your rawest form, that is as much, if not more like a family than a family is, you know? And I think kind of like what I've seen through kind of my suffering mm. is kind of like who my true family is, mm. you know? And, I now can just be me in any kind of aspects of, of life with my family and my wider family mm. uh, who are my community, you know, uh, and you also then realize who's unhelpful in your community. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, that, that always sounds really harsh. And it's something that people don't talk about when we talk about community. We always talk about the, the amazing benefits. And we know there are those amazing benefits. But we also know that there are times when you look around your community and realize that there are people there who shouldn't be. And yeah. that's really hard to talk about, uh, particularly for those of us who come from faith communities. But this isn't about expulsion or isolation. It's about recognizing that that some people aren't right for some other people. Yeah, And actually, the, the courage it takes, I guess, to recognize that. And also, I guess, the, the graciousness that has to exist then to kind of be able to step away from some of those things. There are some people that are only ever going to be, it's going to be a one-way relationship. Yeah. And they can still be part of my community. Yeah. But almost kind of like in the outer circle. Yeah. Not 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 to be mean or anything. No, but no, no. That 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 one way kind of relationship is very much me investing in them. Yeah. And then you've got people who you know would invest in you, yeah. and you would invest in them, and that's kind of like the two way kind of relationship, yeah. which they're the people you you want to have. Yeah. You know, in the the core of of your your circle of friends, you know. And that's what builds your community. And the third thing was, uh, I managed to make these all C's as well. I should have been a Baptist preacher, really. That's where I got <laughs> wrong. Uh, the third thing was Christ. You, you said that the, the almost coming through suffering had strengthened and grown your faith. Talk a little bit about that. Through kind of like this time of suffering, it almost kind of stripped everything back yes. to its rawest form of like, who am I? Because this put into question my character. You know, there was there was kind of a lot of kind of blame in certain areas of, of the suffering from mm. my marriage point of view and stuff that was spoken over me, which, mm. you know, it's just going to like strip me right back to my yeah. core. And, you know, it, in that kind of space, there's kind of like, there's no room for me to be kind of like, all you know, nicey, nicey about trying to have this experience of like the Holy spirit or, whatever it is, it was just kind of like in that kind of total space of brokenness, I had an experience of love and I had an experience of, you know, it, you know, for, for some people, they might listen and be like, well, what was it? What was it? It's kind of like, well, to me, it was God. 
you know, and, and you know, what I've kind of come out of this season of understanding about God and kind of this example of Jesus is that the most important thing that kind of like touched my heartstrings in that place was love and compassion. And then when I start to now from that place to rebuild my life at the back of suffering, I look at Jesus and I look at the scriptures and I look at my faith with the lens of love and compassion. I'm not saying that I'm somebody who's necessarily been through kind of like a, a major deconstruction phase in my faith, mm. but I think kind of like that naturally happens going through my suffering yeah. because like it, in all of this, there was no kind of like me angry at God, angry at church, angry at kind of stuff that somebody's once spoke over me or prophetic words that they might just bumble out. And yeah. I know that this isn't of God, you know, or whatever it is, you know, the stuff that kind of like humans make God and faith and they make it into their own temple and whatever. But I think for me, it's kind of like going through kind of like that, that disappointment, going through that hard season of suffering, yeah. kind of just naturally stripped me back to my core. And kind of that's in that vulnerability where I experience love and peace and patience and kindness. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to then rebuild my life upon. Mm. It's not the rock of the church. It's not the rock of like any individual ism within kind of like Christianity, or it's not even within the faith or you know, a, a stamp or an emblem. It's, mm. it's, it's me kind of like rebuilding myself on kind of like that love and peace and joy and patience that I know that I've experienced from yeah. God, the living God yeah. and his example of Jesus. Yeah, Simple great. as. Great. Uh, you've got another choice to make, and that yep. is uh, what's going on the playlist. Because occasionally, I guess, the conversation will dry up. You know, me and Mother Teresa might be talking about the weather or something else, and you might, <laughs> you might have a few seconds to yourself to, uh, to to listen to something. A lot of people who listen to this will know you as a DJ. You'll have DJed at lots of events we've been at. You're a music producer. You're now involved in that music industry. So what would be on your playlist? Well, f funny you say that um, the conversation might dry up between you and Mother Teresa. Uh, <laughs> no, no, knowing you and kind of like what I've heard from Shane Claiborne and Tony Campola about Mother Teresa, I don't think the conversation would ever dry up. So, <laughs> so, so let's just say hypothetically. Yeah, it might get no competitive. It's more likely we're being competitive, me and Mother Teresa. It's more likely we're both trying to get the last word. <laughs> I can just see that as well. I'm just going to go for some artists. Oh, great. Okay. It, because th this might help in kind of understanding how diverse my music yeah. is. So, so the first, it would be, um, and, and yeah, I can't name an album because there's so many good ones, but I'd have Aretha Franklin. Wow. Uh, so again, kind of my parents were big, uh, soul, Motown, uh, blues uh, fans. And, you know, that was something for me growing up listening to that you know, Al Green and, and just some of the great Stevie Wonder and it was just like, man, I, yeah. I'm I'm given a good start in life. I'm glad and praise God that my parents had a great taste in music. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have a rethrow on the, okay, the playlist. Great. Good start. Uh, I'm going to jump straight into kind of like my 90s. There's going to be two choices from the 90s. I'm going to choose uh, Pearl Jam. Nice. Because uh, that's going to just take me back to a time in my life. Uh, and I'm also going to put uh, Tribe Called Quest uh, into the mix. So I was massive, massive into hip hop in the 90s. And I had this kind of like, to all my friends, I was a massive hip hop fan. And to all of my 
kind of like geeky mates, like I was a big rock fan. So I had this kind of like rock hip hop. So I was, but you know, Linkin Park and Jay Z. I, I was just about to say, kind of Linkin Park then come along, or like Papa Roach, or hey, I was there ten years before that. Uh... You know, I, <laughs> I should have, I, I should have jumped onto it. And I'm sure there'll be some jungle music, some drum and bass. Oh there, yeah, uh, and some big banging techno tracks. Yeah, uh, and, and maybe some kind of, you know, maybe like chucking a few house fires. Yeah, uh, I like their stuff. Love their stuff. Um, so yeah, there you go. Great. It's interesting because uh, music's such a big part of your life and has been a big part of your life. And that takes us into uh, the third question, which is how do we receive joy? How do you receive joy? And I think for anyone who's ever watched you or been at an event you've been part of, particularly when you were DJing, um, you you seem to come to life in that setting for me in so many different ways. Because you, you talked about it already. You're a you're a really kind of happy-go-lucky guy. You bring a beautiful energy into every room. You're always at the center of anything that's going on that people are laughing around, uh, particularly in a Salvation Army setting. They'll know you as, you know, up at the front with a mic, getting sweaty for Jesus. The music seems to be a place where you find joy. Oh, 100%. I think, you know, it doesn't matter what the setting for me. I think something that I've always loved about life is trying to get the most from other people mm. uh, and getting the very best out of other people and giving people the permission to enjoy life yes. and giving people the permission to let their hair down. Yes. Um, uh, Cause I, I think kind of like joy has been something again from, you know, my crazy Scottish, you know, heritage and roots, my uncles, they just laughed so much and, and they still laugh so much. Mm. And it, it's about kind of, you know, getting a gag in every situation yeah. you know but but knowing where the line is yeah. and, and knowing when to you know be serious and knowing when to kind of get people's attention and, and direct them somewhere or support them somewhere or encourage them somewhere but it's that kind of permission i think often you know we need to give that to people and yes. especially if you're in a new setting or if you're in a new job or whatever you know it's not just about you being the clown it's about you kind of like understanding your surroundings yes and trying to get kind of like the very best out of the people around you and i think it's just kind of like i want every single person in my life that i meet i want them to feel special mm. i want them to know that kind of like i see them mm. and also that they're given permission just to be themselves and lighten up mm. you know life has its ways of kind of like stressing us out life has its kind of ways of trying to bring us down and kind of compare us to someone else. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you know, this is the one shot that we've got on this earth to, to, to have a, a good run at it and enjoy ourselves and smile. So, and also some people are wired to, to just be kind of joyful every day, no matter what yeah. they're doing. I'm not wired like that. So I, I feel like I have to work. It's quite like a choice. Hard. It has to be Every, a choice. Yeah, it is a, it's a total choice. Like I have oh. to choose to, to want that. Yeah, really, really interesting. I will not be alone, I think, in, in saying that as someone who kind of grew up in the Salvation Army in that period of time, you were one of those key figures in helping me understand what some of that joy looked like. So, um, yeah, thanks. That was no, awesome. pleasure. But what you've got to realise is that it was completely new territory for me too. Mm. Because like I, I had spent those kind of teenage years kind of learning my craft as a DJ, yeah, uh, all in kind of like the secular world. So it yeah. was kind of like bars and clubs that I was playing in, yeah. But it, it was kind of handed down to me from Andy Hunter, yeah. So a Andy was the one guy that I first heard at Soul Survivor the year that I kind of like said that I'm going to follow Christ, and I heard him DJing in like this cafe, 
I have to give massive props to Andy Hunter mm. because for me, he was the pioneer in this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I remember watching Andy and be mesmerized with the fact that he could have fun. He could use dance music that was secular mm. and that he could have engaged people in an act of worship. I was like, what the heck? This is amazing. Yeah. And, and, and actually, the... Andy, even now, with what he's done with the Presence app and all oh, of that, man. that guy's still pioneering, right? Oh, amazing. 100%. We got one more choice, one more question. Final choice, what's in the snack bag? What's fueling this walk? So in terms of the snack bag, I'm going to take one healthy treat and I'm okay. going to take one uh, naughty treat. So uh, I don't know if you've seen these lentil curls. Yes, love them. Of them. Yeah. So I had a I had a I had a quinoa crisp yesterday and my grandfather rolled in his grave. Like... <laughs> so and and if I was to kind of like just take kind of like a a, a naughty Yes, now we're talking. It would be a um fig roll and a cup of tea. Oh that is a waste of a naughty treat. Oh what is a well, fig roll's fruit? That's one of your five a day. Okay then. Um I it's it's also got about ten teaspoons of sugar <laughs> in each roll. But um <laughs> But it, okay, so if if I'm gonna go down like the proper snack, go on, come on, it's a it's a double decker all yes! day long. Yes, it's a double decker all day long. Great choice, great choice. Way better than a fig roll. We've got one more question. How do we mature in service? Great question. Um, I think kind of like there's there's two there's two parts to this that I wanted to break down. The first is around um, how how I would view leadership. I, I think kind of this this word leadership has kind of like been so misconstrued you know especially in the church uh and i think kind of like for me you know somebody who is kind of taking responsibility for someone else has a level of leadership mm. for me looking at my life it's kind of like leadership has not been about the top down yes leadership has been about the bottom up and i think you know like for me when i look at kind of how culture portrays leadership you know whether it's your you know What's his name? Uh, you're fired. What's oh, called? Alan Sugar. Yeah, so you're Alan Sugars yeah. of the world, you're Trumps of the world, you know, yeah. people who are yeah. like talk about big business. It's the same with kind of like the, the, the church setup. It's that whole idea of the top down for me. It goes completely against kind of like what God, what, you know, we we should be kind of like aiming at. Mm. And maybe that's a that's a big sweeping statement. And apologies if that offends anyone. But I think what I've seen kind of works so well in my life and what's been modeled to me is kind of people who are kind of like on the ground level, helping people elevate other people yes. to the top. But but I think for me, like that, that has been kind of like the most important thing. You just said something, how you've watched people build ways to help other people elevate other people. And there's something in the way you said that that actually talks to me about the legacy of leadership. And that is yeah. a huge maturing. That's a huge maturing yeah. in my understanding. My understanding in my late teens and 20s was it was about how quickly I got to the platform or the, yeah. the top or the, the top of the poster or top of the bill yep. or whatever that happened to be. Yep. But, but actually realizing... It, as as we mature i guess that actually great leaders but not even great leaders the word leadership itself even great disciples of jesus build platforms that platforms are built on that platforms are built on yeah. it's not even about giving that one leg up and going well this is my this is my disciple and they're now really good at this thing it's not about it's about actually recognizing that you build a platform that gets a platform built on it that gets a platform yeah. built on it, that gets a platform because it's about constantly elevating the other um, yeah I think that's a really powerful example of, of how we mature in service. Yeah, uh, 
the other part for me is is understanding that we are not the real deal. We're not the full package, that we are kind of like a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, allowing myself to be discipled or allowing myself to have a mentor in my life Mm. or or a champion, allowing somebody else to speak into me. And I think often, you know, that probably comes with uh, wisdom above us or, you know, a lot of people think it's an age thing. I don't necessarily think that it's, it is an age thing, mm. um, but but I just think from a, you know, having somebody who's able to help discern things in your life yes. and set you on a good path and speak truths and encouragement, but not be afraid to kind of kick your butt, yeah. you know, when kind of like you're standing out of line. I think in terms of development and maturing, I think kind of like realizing we can't do it on our own and having other people to help us building good team, good infrastructures around us uh, and allowing people to speak, you know, those things into our lives has definitely helped me mature in my service and, I, and I've seen it in others. There's this great quote from Richard Rohr and uh, he says, if you've forgiven yourself for being imperfect and failing, you can do it for just about anybody else. Yes, yeah. If you've not done it for yourself, I'm afraid you'll likely pass on your sadness, absurdity, judgment, and futility to others. <laughs> this is the tragic path of the many elderly people who have not become actual elders. Probably they were never eldered or mentored themselves. Yes. Oh, amen to that. Love yeah. Richard Rule. Oh, Love Richard Rule. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Doug, I want to say a huge, huge thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, It's been a massive pleasure just to talk to you anyway, as it always is. Uh, But even more so because this conversation gets to be shared. And I know that people who listen are really, really going to be impacted and inspired by it. So I want to say thank you for giving up your time and coming and sharing so much of your personal story. I'll be back next time with another guest who'll be facing the same four choices and answering the same four questions and sharing their wisdom learned along the way on the All Terrain podcast. (laughs) 